Welcome to the River of Life Church podcast, your home for weekly messages that will equip you in your spiritual growth. Thank you from everyone here at ROLC and enjoy the sermon. We are living in exciting times. Now, some of you may not feel like it's very exciting. You may say it's challenging. Listen to me. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God will always, everybody say always. He will always raise up a standard against it. He will never allow the devil's challenge to go unanswered. Come on now, that's something to be excited about. He will never allow the devil's challenge to go unanswered. There has been such an assault on the young people in this nation and even around the world, but let's focus on the U.S. Such an assault with ungodly narratives that are brainwashing young American children, even starting in the elementary ages. And God said, enough. I believe the outpouring we're going to see, and we see a spurt of it. And when I say a spurt, when you consider this whole nation and even the world, what is happening in Kentucky at Asbury University is the beginning of what God wants to spread around this nation and the world. Now, what happens when you drop a fire, a match, or a spark into a dry forest? It becomes a blaze. Right now, we are living in godless, dry spiritual times. It's dry. When I got saved, I got saved during the Jesus movement, and that was in the early 70s. And since the Jesus movement to the charismatic movement to the Word of Faith movement, to the Father's Blessing, once we came on the other side of that, it's been nearly three decades of anything really significant happening spiritually. You know, there may be one church here or there that is experiencing some good things, but God doesn't want to contain what He desires in one place. That's why He said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, we are called to carry the fire of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, so that these dry and weary places can be set on fire. But in order for that to happen, there needs to be an awakening in the hearts and minds before, of Christians before there's an awakening in the hearts and minds of unbelievers. And that's why God put this word in my heart. I was drawn to the Old Testament, the book of Nahum. And God revealed to me three things that are life-changing, and I believe it's apropos, it's significant. It's timely for Christians, the body of Christ, right now. Right now. Let's look at Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord is good. How many of you believe the Lord is good? He starts out, the Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows, everybody say God knows. And he knows those who trust in him. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Holy Spirit, come and saturate not only in this auditorium, but every person who is hearing this word via live stream. Lord, saturate these people, all of us, here and abroad, with your presence, the spirit of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Holy Spirit, open our hearts. May this not just be a time of listening, but ultimately a time. Of receiving. We receive all you have for us. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love you. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. God wants people, those who are created in his image, every human being, unlike any other part of creation, only humanity is created in the image of God according to the word of God. That's why he wants his image, he wants all people to know who he is. Think about it. For some who may have discovered later in life that maybe they had a son or a daughter that they were unaware of, there's always a desire within the heart of that child, who's my father? Who's my father? And just as there is that quest and that desire, that longing to know from earthly children if they've never had that relationship with an earthly father. There is a longing in the hearts and the minds of every human being to know who our Heavenly Father is, to know who God is. That's why you see people take many different types of journeys. But there's only one way to the Father. Jesus made it real clear. If Jesus said it, you can believe it. Somebody say amen. amen. John 10, 10, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through who? Jesus. He said me. So today as we look, we're going to examine what it means and the benefits of, of knowing who he, God, is. Do you know knowing who he is will change who you are? How many of you have some areas in your life, those of you watching online as well, you have some areas in your life that you want God to work on, you want him to change, you want a transformation there. Am I the only one or is there a few others? When you know who he is, and, and that's why I feel so many Christians continue to struggle with the same things over and over again, that they, they have spiritual amnesia. Or as Hosea said, because they lack knowledge, they're, they're perishing. My people are perishing, the prophet said, Hosea 4, 6, because they lack knowledge. And so if we don't know who he is, then we're going to believe any thought, any narrative, anything that's pushed our way and think, that's me. I felt those feelings when I was young. Now I understand why. That is a lie. That is an evil narrative. That is not what God has designed when it comes to holiness. When we know who he is, it'll change who we are. So let me ask you the question. Who is God to you? Who is God to you? Knowing who he is transforms in our text, Nahum 1-7, he reveals three things about God in this short verse that'll change your whole narrative, your whole thought process of who God is. And because of that, what's yours as an inheritance? Who you are, what that makes you. Three things that are life-changing. Three things that will position you for an encounter with Almighty God. I don't know about you, but I sure would enjoy Encounter after encounter after encounter. On and on and on. I, I want to meet with him daily, regularly. I want him to show up when I'm driving the car, when I'm having dinner, hallelujah, when I'm by myself, maybe out for a walk. I just want him to show up. I love divine encounters. All through Scripture we see this. Divine encounters are what change us. And so if we embrace these three things, these will position us to have a divine encounter with Almighty God. Now think about it. History is filled with multiple examples of those who encountered God. 
Abraham encountered God, and what happened? A nation was birthed from his loins. You don't know who you are if you don't know who he is. You hear me? Look at Joseph. He encountered God, and two nations were saved, Egypt and Israel, because of what God did in his life. Moses, he encountered God, burning bush, and he led a nation after 410 years of slavery and bondage, he led the Israelite people out of bondage to the promised land, all because of an encounter with God. It's amazing what we can do when we have an encounter with God. Let me say it again. Let me ask. How many of you want an encounter with God? Elijah, look at this man. Scripture says in all ways he, he was tempted. He was like us. He experienced exhaustion. His humanity was very real. But when he had an encounter with God, he caught fire down from heaven. And after seven years of no rain, a drought that had been destroying the area, he prays and, and the rains and the heavens were filled with water and they came. It's amazing what happens when you encounter God. What about the ten lepers that meant Jesus? An encounter with him, God incarnate. Brought them healing and restoration. Lengthened their days of life with good living, with health, with strength. And I'm sure a spiritual transformation. Then, oh, hallelujah. My favorite book in the Bible because this is where the Christian church was birthed and released. The book of Acts. What happened to the 120 when they encountered God? Fire from heaven fell. And what they couldn't do in their weakness, even during the portrayal and the crucifixion, the mock trial of Jesus, when they denied him, they hid in fear, ran for their lives. Now, all of a sudden, because of an encounter with God, how many of you believe we all need an encounter with God? They were empowered, took the gospel to the streets, and what began with 120, here we are 2,000 plus years later, and God is still real. He is still on the throne. He hasn't changed. And when mankind loses their way, he has a way of bringing them back by revealing himself through what? Divine encounters. Hallelujah. The world needs transformation. We need an encounter. And in our text... There are three things that Nahum references, beginning with the first thing, the Lord is good. How many believe the Lord's good? That's a phrase that sometimes we can become habitual with. It can become commonplace. The Lord is good. Amen. Amen. Sometimes people say, God is good, and people will respond, all the time. But do we really know the depth and the wealth? of importance, significance, that's behind the goodness of God. The word good in the Hebrew, it's defined as obviously good, but it's also, and I quote, it's considered and defined as pleasant. The Lord is pleasant. The Lord is kind. How many believe God's kind? The Lord is agreeable, prosperous, wealthy. If you can pave your streets entirely with gold, you don't lack for any monetary needs. Amen? I mean, I've never even seen someone pave their driveway with gold. At least if they did, it'd be jackhammered up. When that family goes on vacation, they'll come back to dirt. 
But people don't do that in the natural. You know God lacks for nothing because one of his attributes as being good is wealth. The Hebrew even calls him rich. More than just rich in, in finance, material things, but rich in mercy, rich in grace, rich in forgiveness. That means he has enough for everyone. Another definition of the word good is bountiful, or I like this, full of favor. How many of you want the favor of God? You know, if you pray for anything, ask God, Lord, just let your favor be upon my life. The scriptures say once the favor of God will last a lifetime. Will last a lifetime. It'll bring wisdom in every decision. Most important, that favor will give you an opportunity to share your love for Jesus with others who might not listen to someone else necessarily. But because you've cried out and you've embraced the favor of God, the goodness of God, then opportunities will constantly present themselves to you because you've encountered who He is. He is good. Look at what Paul the Apostle says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, when he talks about the Lord's goodness. He says, do you despise or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? And here's what I want to emphasize. Not knowing, see again, a lack of knowledge, that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. When we experience God's goodness, his pleasant character, his kindness, his agreeable, prosperous, wealthy, rich, beneficial, bountiful, his grace and his mercy the fullness of his favor. It'll change you. It'll, it'll cause you when you see all that God is and that he wants to bestow that on us. It'll break your heart in a good way so that your desire is not to please people but to please him. To please him. It will bring you to repentance. You see, the goodness of God brings what we don't deserve. But yet, he bestows it upon us anyhow. God wants people to experience this goodness. Again, receiving what you don't deserve, it's life-changing. Scripture says, those who are forgiven much, Jesus said this, they love much. Some of you, maybe you feel like, oh, I was, I'm, I'm the worst of all sinners. I did a lot of bad things, Pastor Craig. Well, the Apostle Paul, he said the same thing. He referred to himself as the chief, the leader of all sinners. But he encountered the goodness of God. God is good. His forgiveness, his mercy, his favor. He received things he didn't deserve. He hated his past. Any of you hate your past? Wish you could just hit the button, go back in time, and change that decision. Well, obviously we can't do that. But God's goodness, everybody say God's goodness. It prepares the way so that once we recognize who he is, there's that reference again, it'll change who we are. And we'll receive him because we know we don't deserve what God gives. Anything less than giving my entire life to him. Living passionately at the standard he has called me to live at would be unacceptable. When you love someone, you want to please them when you know they love you so much in spite of yourself. You want to please them. And that's God. I have four daughters. One is already in the presence of Jesus. 
my remaining three, I would never want to sacrifice any of my children for someone else. Go ahead, uh, one of my daughters, go die in this person's place. You know, God the Father, he loved you. He loved the world, people so much that he gave his only son to accomplish what no human being could ever accomplish. He paid the price. He took the penalty of sin. And once we receive that forgiveness, you know, that goodness, that causes us, Lord, if there's anything else in my life that, that doesn't make you happy, then, Lord, reveal it to me so I can change it, so I can place it in your hands, so I can continue the journey to be more like you, let you change and transform me. Oh, look at John Newton. John Newton was the individual who wrote the lyrics for the great hymn, Amazing Grace. What a lot of people don't understand, some of you may know, but others may not, especially those that may be watching online. John Newton, before he encountered Christ, before he became a Christian, he was a slave trader. He looked at certain races of people like individuals would look at livestock to buy and to sell, treat them inhumanely, and gain a profit in the end. That kind of racism is from the pit of hell. In fact, a racist spirit is from the pit of hell. It's not God. Whether Jews, Gentile, like the old song I learned in Sunday school, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. doesn't matter what your skin tone. Underneath, we're all red. We bleed. We're flesh and blood. And so whenever there is that distinction, there's a spirit behind it. And that's when we need to recognize God loves us because we're created in His image, not outwardly, but inwardly. And John Newton, when he came to that realization, when he came to that revelation, his heart was broken. Literally, he fell on his face and he cried out to God for forgiveness and for mercy. And from that point forward, he dedicated his life. He became an abolitionist and he dedicated his life until he drew his last breath, not only to winning people to Jesus, but seeing slavery abolished. Why? Because he experienced the goodness of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. He, like Paul, and maybe some of you and those of you watching online, he looked at his own personhood as the chief of all sinners. But because he was forgiven much, he loved much. Oh, we all need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. Praise the Lord. He experienced firsthand that first thing. The Lord is good. Look at what David says in Psalm 100 verse 5. Again, when you read Scripture, you'll see this word good or goodness every time now because of this message today. David says in Psalm 100 verse 5, For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. This coming from a man who took another man's wife, had this other man placed on the front lines of battle, Uriah the Hittite, so that his life would come to an end at a level of warfare that he was not skilled or trained to be at. 
Then he took Bathsheba to be his wife after his death because she was pregnant with David's child, covering up the sin, going on as if nothing had ever happened. And then when he experienced God's presence through the prophet Nathan, his sin came into the light and cried out for mercy. He experienced God's goodness, God's forgiveness, God's grace. And guess what? God was faithful. He was forgiven. And that's why David could say, the Lord is good. He knew his history just like you and I. We knew ours. But yet, he proclaimed, the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. You know, just as God forgave from the first point in time of history with Adam and Eve, to the point in time we are now in the present, and even yet into the future until Jesus returns, his mercy and his forgiveness has not lost its power. It has not lost its power. As God forgave others, he'll forgive you. I mean, when, when people cry out, let's say someone has committed from the eyes of man a very serious crime and a very serious sin that's, that's impacted and harmed innocent people. When that person cries out to God, Lord, please forgive me, I was wrong. Please forgive me. I mean, Jesus doesn't turn to St. Peter and say, I don't know about this one, Peter. This is a big one. The blood of Jesus washes away, not some, not almost everything, but, but all sin. Why? Because God is good. The Lord, He is good. David understood God's forgiveness as a recipient of His grace and mercy. He knew the Lord was good. Once we encounter that first thing, the Lord is good. The second thing we see that Nahum emphasizes, he states the Lord is a stronghold. Have any of you ever been placed in a situation, maybe inclement weather, maybe a serious storm, an earthquake, a hurricane, a tsunami? I remember when the tsunami hit, you know, years ago in Indonesia, people were rushing and running to what? Higher ground. Why? To find a place of refuge, a place of strength, a place of protection. In life, there are things that we go through that drive us to find a place of safety, a place of refuge. That's what a stronghold is. That word for stronghold in the Hebrew means this, a place or means of safety, protection, or refuge, a stronghold and a fortress. Scripture says the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it, and they are safe. Hallelujah. Psalm 91, one of my favorites. I always say this, one of my favorites. They're all my favorites. It's the Word of God. Sometimes when I go through the genealogies, that's a bit of a struggle, right? And so-and-so begets so-and-so and begets so-and-so and begets so-and-so. You know, sometimes you want to speed read, right? But there's even purpose in that when you see the lineage, the connection, which leads us to Messiah. Amen? God proclaiming his history. It's important to know his history or his story or his story. When you hear the history of God from the word of God, he is speaking to you his story. And so we see this, that the Lord is a stronghold and a fortress. And that is something everyone needs in life. 
Man-made walls of protection are vulnerable. Why? Because anything created can break. You ever drop a pot, hits the ground? See, that's why I bought Tupperware. Then if you put that in the, in the dishwasher and the heat's too high, it, it breaks through melting, not through cracking. Anything created can break or be destroyed. Created things break, but the Creator never breaks. That's the God we can depend on. That's the God in whom we can place our trust. I've learned in life, I've learned a few things, and I'm constantly placing myself to be teachable in the presence of God. But one thing that I believe is significant that I've learned in life is this. God always has the final word because the word of God is final. Sometimes we we doubt the word of God. That's what Satan wants. He wants us to doubt the word of God because once that seed, that little minute section of doubt enters into our thought processes, we're vulnerable. It's a place of weakness. And when we understand this aspect of doubt and the importance of God's word, the word of God is what secures our victory. The word of God is actually our armor, our covering, our protection. Look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. This is not only referencing those within the great tribulation and how God was faithful, but this is applicable for any of us in times of trouble. Scripture says, and they, speaking of the church, overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Notice the emphasis on they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the Word. Everybody say the Word. word. That is referencing the Word of God. How did God create the heavens and the earth? By His Word. This book is more than just black ink, and for those that have red letter editions, black with red letter edition where the words of Jesus are, are emphasized, it's more than just ink on paper. This is the living, creative Word of God. Even when you look at Jesus, God incarnate, the Word made flesh, when He faced Satan in the wilderness, how did He overcome the enemy? He released the Word. And He wasn't quoting any of the Gospels. They were in the process of being written, recording His life story. He was quoting from the Torah, most of it from the the Law, the Pentateuch. And he overcame Satan in the wilderness. Even being God incarnate, he used the Word of God against the assaults of hell. See, when we know who he is, we know whose Word is and what it promises and what it proclaims. It's a declaration into the spirit realm, even that which we can't see. And just as Jesus overcame Satan... Throughout his entire 33 and one half years of life, but that one incident in the wilderness, that's how we overcome as well. The blood of the Lamb means being born again, confessing your sins, and having the blood of Jesus cover all of that record of your sin and guilt. And then your name being written in the Lamb's book of life. Then that gives you legal authority, legal access. Then just as Jesus 
utilize the word against the strongholds of hell. We utilize the word of God against the strongholds that would try to come against us. And not only against us, but when we intercede and pray for the lives of others. For revival, a move of the Spirit. Some Christians are so wrapped up in surviving, they've forgotten about saving. Rescue the perishing. Satan's content to keep us in that survival mode. Oh, Jesus, just help me. Oh, Jesus, I'm under attack. That all may be true. I'm not dis discounting that. But if we're so worried about staying alive, being defensive, just build a wall, don't want anybody in, nobody's going out. How are we going to touch anybody else? We're blessed to be a blessing. If God has brought physical healing to you, that's so you can share the message of healing with others. If God has delivered you from sins and bondages and habits, addictions, it's so you can tell others, hey, he did it for me, and he'll do it for you. Amen. Come on, if you're going to praise him, praise him. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. What that means, when we're so wrapped up in Jesus, we don't have to worry about our life because we know God will take care of it. Do you hear me? When you know someone bigger and greater and stronger and better than you is watching over you, then death doesn't scare you anymore. My days are numbered by God, not by man. How many believe that? Victory or defeat. Listen to me. This is significant. Victory or defeat is directly related to God's Word. God's Word is our stronghold and our fortress. Even when you look at the armor of God, some people have become very mystical regarding the armor of God. They even do symbolic dressing. I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness and the girdle of truth, right? And my feet, I'm putting on my gospel shoes. And they go through this ritual. You won't find that anywhere in Scripture. In fact, Paul was drawing an analogy regarding the Word of God. He was using a metaphor of a Roman soldier's actual armor and garments so that people would understand the importance of knowing God's Word. When you know God's Word, you know who He is. And so all of those pieces of armor he drew the analogy with were the Word of God. He wanted them to know the helmet of salvation. That's the Word of God. When you have a knowledge of God's Word, it protects your mind. It protects you from deception. It protects you from temptation. It protects you from the lies, the fear. The emotions are affected by the mind. So you can put on joy, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. If depression is coming against you, begin to worship. Begin to praise. Begin to speak the Word of God. The Lord is my strength. His portion is all I need. Hallelujah. The deliverance of God is faithful and goes from generation to generation. The Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the, 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 the works of the devil. That's the Word of God we release like Jesus. It's our stronghold. But if we don't know who He is, because we live by what we feel rather than by faith in His Word, then we're going to go from struggle to struggle. And it'll feel like we're not making progress. God wants us to make progress. He wants us to grow in our faith and our understanding. All of this, again, this is the difference. His word is the difference between victory or defeat. Amen? So it's imperative 
that we stand. Because Satan is always willing and ready to challenge God's word. Isn't that what he did to Eve in the garden? Challenge the word. Because she listened to that narrative from the enemy rather than believing the word of God that was given to her husband, which was given to her. That's when sin entered the human race. Look at Jesus in the wilderness. The word of God was challenged. Again, Jesus answered with scripture. And Satan will come against you and me. That's why the word of God is important. By removing God's word, we remove his protection. When the Lord is your stronghold, you will experience his divine intervention, his divine provision in the midst of the conflict. Psalm 23, David says, The Lord prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemy, in the midst of my conflict, right on the battlefield when everything is raging around me and threatening my existence. The Lord prepares the table. What do you do at the table? You eat. What does eating do? It restores your strength. It brings nutrition, nourishment. You're fed. What happened after Jesus confronted the devil in the wilderness? God the Father sent angels and they fed him. He regained his strength. But it was more than just physical food. It was a spiritual strengthening. What happened to Elijah after he challenged the prophets of Baal and Asherah? He then went into a depression. But then the Lord sent angels. He rested and the Lord sent angels that fed him. It was more than just physical nutrition. It was a supernatural restoring of strength. He prepares a table for us. And at that table, that's where the manna from heaven, his word becomes our meal. That's why Sundays are so important. Think of the people who are missing this message right now. And other churches that are preaching an uncompromised message. By choosing to remove yourself from the table that God has prepared for you in the midst of your conflict. Some people say, I'm just so depressed. I'm just so troubled. I'm so mixed up. I, I, I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like praying. Well, there goes your meal. That table, Jesus is sitting at that table waiting for you. But when we embrace that wrong mindset, he eats alone. And then the very thing we really need when we're especially going through a difficult time. Amen. We have nothing to draw from. And we forget, the title of my message again, who he is. Because we've neglected his word, his presence. The first thing, the Lord is good. The second thing, the Lord is a stronghold. The third thing that Nahum mentions, he says, the Lord knows. The Lord knows. Nothing's hidden from God. Nothing. Good or bad. And everything in between. Nothing's hidden from God. One of the attributes of Almighty God is He's omniscient. Omniscient. That means He's all-knowing. Because nothing's hidden from Him. That's why He's omniscient. He knows the beginning of everything, as well as knowing the present and knowing the end. He even knows the question many of you have asked at times, and myself included, what if? What if those tests from the doctor come back bad? What if I lose my job? What if my son or daughter becomes addicted to substance abuse? What if? What if they have a child out of wedlock? What if? What if? What if? All of the what ifs. God doesn't want us caught up in the question of what if. Amen. 
He wants us to know, well, even in the what if, he is. He's good. He's a stronghold. That means whatever I need. He is the source. In fact, Holy Spirit told me this at the end of the first service, so they didn't get this. You guys get this. When God announced himself to Moses, and when Moses asked, who shall I say ascend to me? How did God respond? You tell them that I am that I am has sent you. Do you know what he is represents? It represents our affirmation to God declaring I am. He says I am and we proclaim, yes, he is. That's an act of faith. He is my healer. He is my provider. He is my wisdom. He is my strength. He is my everything, my all in all. And time in his presence, at his table, feeds us so we know it not only in theory, but it's part of us. We've absorbed us. It's in our DNA now. It's a Holy Ghost vaccine. Hallelujah. One you don't have to fear or be concerned about. Can I hear an amen? The Lord knows. The known and the unknown are exposed before God. One day when we stand before him, everybody, sometimes we feel like we see the powerful, the wealthy, the political corruption. It's like all of the evil goes unanswered. One day we're all standing before God. Some will stand before the great white throne judgment and others will stand before his throne of mercy and grace. But everything's going to be laid bare. Nothing is hidden from God. Nothing. And that's why even when we're faced with challenges that are bigger than us, do you know the Lord has already planned for that circumstance in your life in advance? He's already prepared. David says in Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by who? The Lord. Ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his ways. See, when you know who he is, you're asking God for counsel. You're asking God for wisdom. You're asking God for direction. And because God already knew what you were going to face before you got there, because he's in our future. He's already implemented and set in motion a plan if we'll embrace it. And as we seek him with all of our hearts, he reveals his ways to us. But you have to be at that table. He's prepared for us each day and sometimes even in the midst of our enemies, the conflict. Because that's where strategies are birthed. That's where strategies are implemented. And that's where direction is found. So that whatever you sit your hand to do, it's what Scripture says, it'll prosper. God hasn't designed for any of us to fail. But if we're going about our plans and our ways, that's risky business. But if we're following his purposes and plans for our lives. And we take a time to examine who he is by going to his table. Then he'll reveal his purposes and his ways. I think that's a good place to be. How about you? Somebody give God praise. I'm just feeling the presence of God right now. God knows your past. He knows your present. He knows your future. He's not surprised by any of your circumstances. Have you ever been caught by surprise? God's never caught by surprise. Somebody says, did I scare you, Jesus? I saw it coming. Did you hear me? He already saw it. He's in the future. 
writer of Hebrews says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We may not see it coming, but Jesus always sees it coming. And he says, hey, don't worry about it. I've prepared for this. I've got you covered. I've got your six. Right? Why? Because he already knows. Just as Nahum says, the Lord knows. So when you find yourself finally at a place where you're taking steps to discover who he is by spending time at his table, that's when I believe one of the most powerful things that we can do in life, at every venture, the great times as well as the difficult times, that's when knowing who he is then demands when we're ready to face and have the confrontations with those things that would seek to steal, kill, and destroy from us. You've got to choose to trust. Not just trust, but trust the Lord. Solomon said in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Not a portion. You don't choose to trust him today and, well, tomorrow, I got this one, Jesus. Then all of a sudden when you mess it up, Lord, help. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding in all, not some, but all of your ways. Acknowledge him. That means bring those decisions, bring those directions, bring them to the Lord's presence. Ask for his wisdom, yes or no. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. Seek his knowledge, and he will direct your paths. Trusting God means trusting God's word. That's how he speaks. He will lead you, I like this, from victory to victory, faith to faith, glory to glory, and strength to strength. That's his will. That's his way. In conclusion, knowing who God is will change who you are. How many of you are ready for some positive change? I know I am. Do you know him? Have you committed your life to him? Have you acknowledged your sin, your lack, and your need for a Savior? If not, just simply say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. That's the first step. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, salvation. And then the authority to exercise His Word follows. Today I want to encourage you to affirm your faith by declaring what Nahum declared in this portion of Scripture. Declare the Lord is good. Confess the Lord is a stronghold. And then proclaim the Lord knows. We can trust someone like this. Someone who's good. Who is an unbeatable, unpenetrable stronghold. And someone who knows all, who's omniscient. Nothing is hidden from his sight. You see, you'll find when you proclaim who God is, you're also declaring the devil is not. It's important to verbalize your declaration, your faith. When I say affirm your faith, declare he is, the Lord is. It doesn't mean you just do this. Are you asleep? What are you doing? I'm saying the Lord is. He is. Well, nobody can hear you, including the devil. Do you know the devil can't read your thoughts? Only God knows the thoughts and the intents. 
of a man or a woman's heart. He knows what thoughts he interjects into our thought processes, but he doesn't know if they're working or not until we begin to speak them. You ever heard somebody say, I just speak my mind? Well, that's foolish. Our mind can really get us into trouble because it's ruled by emotions. Speak the word of the Lord. Speak it into the heavenly. Speak it over your life every day. Declare the Lord is good. The Lord is a stronghold. And the Lord knows and he is in control of my life. Hallelujah. What am I saying? Choose your words wisely. Psalm 19 verse 14. David speaks and he says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Now listen to this. Your worth is not based on who you were. It's not even based on who you are. But rather on who God is. If you know the Lord, your worth is based on who God is. Hallelujah. God's reputation is recorded all through Scripture. I'm going to go now from Genesis to Revelation, and we're going to see in each book of the Bible how God proclaims who He is in every book, all 66 books of this Bible. Come on now. I want you to embrace this. I want you to hear this. If you get excited, you get happy, then shout. But I want you to see who God is in every book of the Bible. In Genesis, He is the breath of life. It all began there, didn't it, church? In Exodus, He is the Passover lamb. That's where sacrifice was instituted. In Leviticus, He is our high priest. As in Numbers, He is the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, the law, He is Moses' voice. In the book of Joshua, He is salvation's choice. In Judges, He is the lawgiver. In Ruth, He is the kingsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, He is our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, He is sovereign. In Ezra, he is the true and faithful scribe. Just as in Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of broken walls and faithful lives. In Esther, he is Mordecai's courage. In Job, he is the timeless redeemer. As in Proverbs and Psalms, he is our morning song and the time and season. In the Song of Solomon, he is the lover's dream. Hallelujah. Are you with me, church? Come on. This is who he is. In Jeremiah, he is the weeping prophet, just as in Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. In Lamentations, he is the cry for Israel. In Ezekiel, he is the call from sin. In Daniel, he is the stranger in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Come on now, this is who he is. He hasn't changed. In Hosea, he is forever faithful. In Job, he is the Spirit's power. In Amos, he is the arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he is the Lord our Savior. In Jonah, he is the great missionary. In Micah, he is the promise of peace. And in Nahum, the book we study today, he is our strength and our shield. In Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he is pleading for revival. In Haggai, he is the one who restores a lost heritage. Zechariah, he is our fountain. And Malachi, he is the son of righteousness with healing in his way. Come on now, church. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is God, man, and Messiah. In Acts, 
He is the fire from heaven. In Romans, He is the grace of God. In Corinthians, first and second, He is the power of love. In Galatians, He is freedom from the curse of sin. In Ephesians, He is our glorious treasure. In Philippians, He is the servant's heart. In Colossians, He is the Godhead Trinity. And in first and second Thessalonians, He is our coming King. In Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, he is our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, he is the everlasting covenant. In James, he is the one who heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is our shepherd. In John, First, Second, and Third, and Jude, he is the lover coming for his bride. And in the book of Revelation, he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah! Let's all stand. Come on. Shout it out. Everyone say, He is. He is. He is. Hallelujah. He is. And because He is, we can say, I am. Hallelujah. Give Him praise. Give Him praise. Give Him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to the River of Life Church podcast. Subscribe and rate us right now on iTunes to be first to get access to new audio messages every week. Visit rolcdoylestown.org or like us on Facebook to always stay up to date on what's going on at ROLC. If you would like to support this ministry, visit the online giving page at our website. Join us next time for more from River of Life Church.